Thanks for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the podcast from NUH Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this podcast, we'll be discussing aortic dissection. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. All guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospitals NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Excellent. So, hello, welcome back to Take Orally. It's uh, Jamie Thomas here, one teacher fellows in emergency medicine. I'm delighted to welcome back uh, Dr. Craig Douglas, ED consultant, the uh, veteran of our first ever episode <laughs> of Take Orally. Welcome, Craig. Hi, Jamie. Good to be back. Uh, so, here with, uh, we've brought Craig back for the uh, first episode of a two parter on aortic syndromes. And uh, we're going to start today by looking at aortic dissection. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Uh, so I suppose the first question is, Craig, uh, what is aortic dissection and how common is it? Well, um, uncommon uh, <laughs> would, be, would be the answer. Uh, so aortic dissection, um, it is obviously a cardiovascular emergency and essentially what happens is that there is a tear in the sort of innermost layer of the aorta, the, the intima and you get blood which then tracks through that layer and basically starts to dissect off the, the inside of the aortic wall from the, the media um, or the sort of muscular wall and that creates a false passage within the vessel itself which can travel backwards towards the heart or further down the aorta um, mm. and cause problems downstream as well. Um, as I say, it is uncommon, so roughly you're speaking about sort of about three cases per hundred thousand people per year, so it's not something that you're going to see very often in your practice. Mm. But we're very worried about it then. Yeah. Even though it's quite rare, so why are we so worried about it? Well, we're we're worried about it because it's a genuine emergency, and there is a significant mortality rate associated, you know, with the condition, and if we don't pick it up then these are patients who are going to have unfavourable outcomes because we can't initiate their mm. emergency management. Mm. So I think overall you're sort of talking about a, a 25 to 30% mortality for mm. this condition, very slightly mm. depending on the type of dissection, which we can talk a, a little bit more about. Um, but that's, that's really why we get worried about it. And also the fact because the presentation is so varied mm. um, and can be subtle as well and that's why it always plays in the back of our mind yeah i think it's worth emphasizing this point because i think students sometimes get confused with this this isn't the same as a triple a rupturing and blood being leaked yeah. out into a body cavity absolutely this is about that false lumen in the wall of the or that's I mean, right. we'll talk about triple a later but this is different yeah absolutely so i mean the ways in which you, you will die from an aortic dissection there are a few um as i said you can, that, that blood leaking out into the, the, the wall of the aorta and then tracking backwards towards the heart, you can then get leakage of blood into the pericardium causing mm. a cardiac tamponade. So you can die that way. Um, you can also get sort of acute failure of the aortic valve. So you get sudden massive severe aortic regurgitation and resultant heart failure. So that can kill you. Um, you can bleed out through the wall of the, the vessel. That can happen as well. You can have obviously exsanguinate from that. And the other thing is that because the blood is, is leaking into that false passage, it can compress 
branch vessels of the aorta, mm. um, which then causes malperfusion syndromes mm. and end organ damage, and that's uh, yet another way that this condition can kill you. Pick your pick yeah. your way. Pick your way. How, how do you want to die? Yeah. yeah. Um, so I suppose obviously not very common, but we need to be worried about it. It's it's, it's a not to miss diagnosis. So what are the clinical features? What what are you listening for in mm. a history that makes you think, hang on, this this could be uh, a aortic dissection? Sure. Um, so in terms of uh, clinical features, the, the big one is, is pain. So almost all patients with a dissection will have pain, certainly more than 90% of, of patients. And it tends to be pain which is you know acute or abrupt in onset and is severe. And although the classic description is of a sort of tearing pain going through between the shoulder blades. Actually, when you look at sort of some of the evidence out there, it's the most often it's characterized as, as a sharp, severe pain. Okay. Um, so it doesn't need to be that, that tearing description. If mm. someone says abrupt onset, sharp, severe pain, you should think about um, dissection. And that it can be pain in the chest, it can be pain in the back, it can be pain in the abdomen. And again, that, it varies slightly depending on the type of uh, mm. aorta dissection, whether it's affecting the, the ascending aorta, mm. which tends to cause more chest and back pain versus the descending aorta, which tends to be more sort of back and abdominal sure. pain. Sure. I've heard the description of thunderclap chest pain, um, similar, you know, but yeah. uh, analogous to the thunderclap headache being sure. subarach. I don't sure. know if you've heard that as well. I, I haven't heard that, but it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, you... I think the the complicating thing, obviously, when with dissection, is that there are other things, mm. other diagnoses that you'd want to consider with that same sort of abrupt onset pain, isn't it? Often it can be quite mm. difficult to try and discern. You know, maybe something like a pulmonary embolism, what you think is the the more likely you know, mm. explanation. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, who does it tend to affect? Um, so it tends to affect men more often than females. And it tends to be in a slightly older population, so mean age, around about sort of the mid 60s. Mm. But you, it isn't a diagnosis that you can discount in, in younger patients. Um, there are certain uh, groups of patients who are more at risk of, of developing uh, this particular um, disease. Particularly, you want to think about patients with a history of sort of. Uh, uh, collagen disorders, Marfan syndrome, mm. uh, patients who've got a family history of aortic dissection or mm. other aortic problems. Um, and you also might want to bear in mind uh, recreational drug use. Mm. Uh, patients presenting with you know severe chest pain after cocaine use would be okay. the sort of classic um, example of a sort of drug-induced aortic dissection as well. Okay. Um, so as, as well as the chest pain, like you said, it's a common, um, mm. common presenting complaint. I think yeah. Every day in a &E you'll yeah. see several with it. Yeah. Uh, what, what other features are there that go mm. along with it? I've, I've heard the chest pain plus one as a, as a way of remembering some of the different ways that you get yeah. chest pain. So would you like to elaborate it's, a bit more on that? Yes, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's, a it's a good way of, of looking at things. Um, you, as I said, you can get quite very varied and sometimes quite bizarre presentations mm. um, of aortic dissection and some of that is due to these malperfusion syndromes which mm. we sort of hinted at. They say when you get blood tracking in the wall of the aorta, compressing the 
um, origins of, of branches from the aorta, then you can it's you can start to understand why you get these malperfusion syndromes. So that can affect um, the carotid arteries and can lead to symptoms of a, a stroke. It can lead, it can compress the subclavian vessels and lead to problems with sort of arm ischemia. Uh, it can compress the origin of your mesenteric or celiac arteries and cause problem with gut ischemia. Mm. It can it can lead to problems with perfusion of the of the spinal arteries as well and cause an acute paralysis. So it's in these situations where you have chest pain and another feature such as you know. Uh, acute neurological deficits or acute vascular deficits in mm. the limbs, mm. dissection is something that you want to think about as mm. a diagnosis that could tie mm. these seemingly quite different pathologies together. Yeah, um, And I think the other thing that we, we have to think about um, with dissection is just is pulse deficits, much, much along yeah. the same way that we've been, we've been chatting, important to feel for the radial, brachial, femoral pulses you know, an absent or reduced pulse, and similarly checking the blood pressures between left and right arms as well, and yeah. looking for that significant systolic difference, which might again give you another clue as yeah. to as the dissection that you're dealing with. Uh, so I've also read about uh, the yeah. chest pain, chest pain plus abdominal pain. It's if you've got a migratory pain, especially if you're if you're getting a tearing mm -hmm. and extending down the mm -hmm. aorta, you may get a chest and abdominal pain yeah. together. Um, you mentioned there about blood pressure in both arms. Mm. Is that useful? Uh, it can be useful. Um, it's if you don't have a blood pressure differential between the left and right arms, you can't exclude that it's a dissection. Mm. Uh, literature would suggest it's it's present probably between ten and thirty percent of of cases of dissection. Again, dependent on the site of the intimate yeah. tear and where the blood is tracking within the aorta. Mm. So there there are. There is a significant group of patients with a dissection who will have that blood pressure differential, but it's not something that you can hang your hat on seeing in, in all patients. Yeah, and is there a number of blood pressure difference that, so the, the, that we agree the, on? <laughs> the description is of a 20 millimeter um, differential in the systolic blood pressure. Between yeah. the times. But that has to be at the same time as well, which well, is difficult right. as well, Absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely, and that, that's a key thing. So, you know, in these studies, they are looking at blood pressures done, you know, simultaneously in the left and right arms, which is often very difficult <laughs> to, to do. To achieve in a busy A&E. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so we've, we've examined our patient. They're a young person with, you know, and they've described the pain as sudden, right through to the back. They may have collapsed or something going along mm. with it. Um, there may be a blood pressure difference. Um, for, for, a, for a junior doctor seeing a patient for the first time, is there a role for basic tests before going on to anything further? So our ECGs, our chest x-rays, etc. is there a role for these things? Yeah, I, th I, think, I think there is. I think there's always a, a role for those, those tests. and They may give you helpful clues and just start to build the overall picture. I mean, it's worth just bearing in mind at this point that you can get some very sick patients presenting in this way. They may be unstable. Mm. Those unstable patients, you might need to change your, your thought process a little bit in terms of the tests that you're ordering. But if you've got a stable mm. patient, then uh, I certainly I think an ECG is, is useful. Um, it will be normal in about 30% of patients who, you know, who have an aortic dissection. Mm. And 
the most common finding that you'll see are sort of non-specific mm. ST segment T wave inversion type yeah. changes. Um, so we'll just give you a clue that there's something going on. Uh, and similarly, the chest x-ray, again, that will be normal in about 15% of patients who are having an aortic dissection. So you can exclude the disorder um, based on a normal ECG and a normal chest x-ray, but you can start to build a picture and start to put yeah. everything to, together. So I would say there is a role for those tests. Mm. Um, they don't take long to, to do and, and might give you the, you know, the extra clue that you need in terms of... Yeah. You know, establishing a diagnosis. And, and so that chest x-ray, we're looking for the widened mediastinum. That would be the, the most common um, feature to, to see on the chest x-ray for sure. There are other things which are talked about, uh, pleural effusion more commonly on the, the left side, mm. um, obliteration of the so-called um, sort of aortic pulmonary window on the, the chest x-ray. Um, but yeah, widening of the mediastinum would be the mm. number one thing to look for. Okay. And this is kind of just adding currency really to mm. our argument maybe that we're thinking this patient has a has an aortic dissection but forms part of the overall approach to anybody with chest pain yeah absolutely yeah okay um so we we've got our suspicions now how are we actually going to definitively diagnose aortic dissection so um certainly in this hospital and i think probably across most hospitals certainly in the uk then the, our sort of gold standard test would be to do a, a CT angiogram of the aorta, um, which has sensitivity, you know, certainly around upwards of 95% um, yeah. for, for picking up these, these cases. You could argue that the better test is an MR angiogram, <laughs> but realistically that's just not something that yeah. you've got access to. Mm. Okay, and I suppose that will then tell us our type of aortic dissection. Yeah. So we should probably talk a little bit more about different sure. types of aortic dissection. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I always use the um, distinction between a, a type A and a type B. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, so when people talk about type A dissection, type B dissection, so they're using the uh, Stanford classification system, which is the most widely um, used classification system. Um, and that using that system, it doesn't uh, really take into account where the intimal tear is, just about which sections of the aorta are affected. So anything where the ascending aorta is affected would be a type A dissection, mm. and if it was just a dissection involving the descending thoracic aorta, type B. Mm. Um, and I think that's a, it's the most widely used system, and I think to avoid complicating matters, that would probably just be the the one I would I would stick with unless you're got a deep specialist interest in the subject. Yeah. Uh, and have we got any problems with how we diagnose aortic dissection? Well, yeah, we do. <laughs> um, so the the problem with aortic dissection, as I say, it's something that we don't want to miss. Yeah. And there are a, a lot of patients who. If we were to sort of risk stratify them, they would be on the sort of low end yeah. in terms of a risk stratification, but we can't exclude it without doing mm. a CT or angiogram test, yeah. which is an expensive test, um, you know, time consuming for radiologists um, and subjecting patients to you know significant volumes of radiation and contrast, you know, neither of which you would particularly want to do without you know good justification. Um, so we end up doing a lot of these investigations and actually the number of patients who actually turn up to have an aortic dissection is very low. Mm. You know, 
in the sort of published literature and certainly looking at our own practice here, you're probably looking in a region of about 2 to 3% mm. of patients who have a CTA looking for a dissection actually having one. So we're doing lots of scans which are, are, are negative. Mm. Um, so that's an issue. So it's a bit like PE. I'm yeah. thinking of PE. It would be yeah. amazing if we... I think we're going to go on to a bit of about risk gratification, about risk scoring our patients. Yeah. That, you know, if there was a way of... of if you are low risk, here's a blood test and off you go rather than uh, scanning as we do, you know, the similar term we have in PE. Um, so, if we conf- so if we confirm aortic dissection, we're going to be on the phone to cardiothoracics, aren't we? Um, for, for a type A dissection, certainly that is something where you're going to want a cardiac surgeon involved in, in managing those patients. Um, the mortality trying to manage type A dissections you know, medically is, is significantly higher than, than those patients who, who have a surgical approach, whether that be a, an open approach or an endovascular mm. approach. So certainly those patients are going to need to go to be looked after by the cardiac surgeons. For type B dissections, um, where really the mainstay of treatment is, is medical management um, for these patients, there are a few patients who will end up having uh, an endovascular approach but the vast majority of, of type B dissections medically managed um, and they, they may go and actually be looked after by the cardiology team yeah. rather than the, the cardiac surgeons. pressure surgeon. control yeah, and observation. Exactly. Yeah, brilliant. Okay, so um, we've, we've touched a little bit on some of the problems with, with diagnosing aortic dissection. Yeah. So, you know, this is an area where there's new developments and research going into because of these problems like yeah, you talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So for a while now, there's been some interest uh, in terms of using uh, D-dimer in much the same way that we do for our patients with suspected pulmonary embolism. Um, In much the same way with PE, just looking at D-dimer by itself has not proven to be um, particularly useful. Um, it It still misses um, too many patients um, who would go on to you know, have a proven dissection. But what is showing real promise you know, based on some evidence which was published in circulation last year um, is the combination of uh, a, risk, a clinical risk stratification tool combined with a D-dimerism. Mm. So last year, um, the advised trial was published, which uses the um, aortic dissection risk score, the ADD-RS score, <laughs> um, to group patients into whether a high prob- probability, moderate or low probability. Mm. And for patients who fit into that low probability group, if they go on and have a negative D-dimer, that particular study suggested that you can effectively rule out an aortic dissection in that group of patients. Mm. So that might, the caveat to that is, this study needs to be validated sure. in, in different populations to make sure that, um, that these results hold up. But if this is borne out to be true, then you could effectively reduce your scanning on about 60% of, of patients who currently go and have a, a CT angiogram. So there's potential 
you know, mm. massive change in practice and massive benefits mm. um, involved with involved with this study. So hopefully, um, you know, we'll, we'll see some more positive studies that can back up those results over the next year or two. Absolutely. And so that was looking at you as high risk features, doesn't it? And That's your, right. your low risk yeah, features. Yeah, so the, the risk score looks at sort of three individual components. So um, it looks at high risk conditions. So they're the same things we were sort of talking about Marfan's, mm. family history, uh, known thoracic aortic aneurysm. Um, and then it looks at the um, presence and character of pain. Mm. And then it also looks at the physical exam and whether there's evidence of uh, perfusion deficits. Mm. Um, so in terms of blood pressure, pulse deficits, the focal neurological deficits, those sorts of things. So it looks at those three areas. And if you score in either of those three areas, then you get a point. So the score ranges from zero to three. Mm. If you score zero or one, you fall into the low risk group, two, moderate, and three, obviously, and towards the, the higher end of, of things. Mm. And so the D-dimer is, is not helpful in patients scoring more than one because um, you can't rule out the dissection in those patients. There's still a, a decent number of those patients will go on and have proven aneurysm, mm. uh, not aneurysm, I'm sorry, dissection. But in the, the low risk group, mm. there's, there seems to be real potential there. Excellent. Is there a, a role in, in um, bedside ultrasound in, in, if you're in A&E and you've got a, a decent technician there, is there a role? No, um, there is a role if you can get a transesophageal echo, yeah. then, there, then that is uh, a good test. Um, it would have sort of similar test characteristics to our CT angiogram. But uh, your chances of getting a transesophageal <laughs> echo are essentially you're no. Better, so, better yeah. get off getting the scan. Yeah. Yeah, but for somebody who's a dab hand in any with an ultrasound probe, you're not gonna. You 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 won't get um, enough reliable reliable information from sure. doing a sort of transthoracic echo and looking at the aorta in that sure. fashion. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Did you want to talk about? Um. Well, I think we've we've sort of chatted about most of the sort of main mm. points, and certainly for um, you know the students and junior doctors, sort of listening to the, the podcast then I would just encourage them to have this diagnosis in the back of their mind um, to you know do a full uh, a detailed physical examination you know looking for murmurs of aortic regurgitation really feeling doing a, a good peripheral pulses examination feeling for those pulse deficits mm. um, not ignoring strange uh, features and, and thinking about that sort of chest pain plus one mm. mantra and thinking of aortic dissection as a diagnosis which might tie together quite disparate findings um, and then just to involve their, their seniors mm. uh, at an early stage do a good sort of basic workup, chest x-rays, ECGs and involve seniors in terms of the decision making around uh, you know further imaging tests. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much, Craig. Oh, pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. That was the Take Orally um, Aortic Dissection podcast. You can find more information, including the Take Visually for this podcast, at uh, takeorally.com. You can find Take Orally on both SoundCloud and iTunes. And you can also find Take Orally on both Facebook and Twitter. For more information about uh, education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine, and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.